wow, wow. Come on. Thank you, Lord, for what you're pouring out tonight. The Holy Ghost is breaking out. Isn't that what we're after tonight? The new wine. Thank you, Lord, for fresh new wine. Suddenly you just got to thank him for the new wine that we get to drink. And that's not just a joy of the Lord thing, but, you know, the new wine is the truth and the revelation of the kingdom. And God wants to do something new and fresh in the anointing. I want you to lift your hands up and say, Lord, thank you for the new wine. Lord, I pray for new, fresh wine. I'm thirsty. I want to drink, and I want to just keep drinking. But Holy Ghost, you are the new, fresh wine. Thank you for revelatory knowledge and truth and kingdom and the move of God and revival. But we pray for new, fresh wine. We want the honey. We want the oil. We want the wine of your spirit tonight poured out in this place, and the new wine goes into a new wineskin. How many of you are open to God doing something new as far as the new wine goes into the new wineskin? God, give me a new wineskin, the wineskin that we need today to reach the next generation. I want to be ready for that wine. But I love drinking, too. And the Bible says, open your mouth wide, I'll fill it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Anyone that's thirsty, come to the waters, drink and take freely. Isn't that the invitation? He gives the Holy Spirit freely, that you can have as much as you want to. You can eat of the fruit of the tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God freely. So why stop tasting? Why stop eating? Why stop drinking? We just acknowledge that we know that you're here, and Holy Spirit, you're moving in power tonight. People are going to be set free and changed and healed and have an encounter with kingdom. Lord, I don't want to leave this place the same. We know that you're here already, but we say, keep coming, Holy Spirit. Let us be clothed and mantled with glory. You know, I was doing a study one time on, you know, mantles, double portion, and going, where's a New Testament reference to the idea that there's mantles or we can receive double, double? You know, I love the story of Elisha and Elijah and the example and, you know, the double portion. But I wanted a New Testament reference. And so I was reading in Luke 24, 49. You know, it says you will be endued with power from on high when the Holy Ghost comes. And I was reading that word endued with power. It literally means to be clothed or mantled. How about if you want the Holy Spirit to fit you like a glove? We don't fit him. He fits us. I want to be so full that the Spirit of God comes upon me and literally clothes me with power and glory. That's the word mantle. He's going to mantle you with his power. So we say, come tonight, Holy Spirit, and clothe us and mantle us and fit us and make us an instrument and a weapon in the hand of God that can change nations. We thank you for a heavy, weighty, transforming, heavy, weighty, drunken glory tonight. I really do love the wine, people. Listen, the joy unspeakable and full of glory. If you've had an encounter with the joy unspeakable, and yet it's full of glory. It's like it's the glory with joy on top. And it's an unspeakable joy. It's an unspeakable glory. It's Christ in you. But uh, once you get to drink that oil called gladness, what do you do with the oil of gladness? And what do you do when it gets on you? It probably makes a little, the joy of the Lord is my strength. How many of you know you get stronger in joy? 
And yeah, we just want to welcome tonight, Lord, pour out the wine, pour out the joy, pour out the oil of gladness. That means the anointing to produce happy. The anointing to produce gladness. It's called the oil of gladness. It comes with the garment of praise, and it comes with the anointing of beauty for ashes. You bring everything that's ashes, and God gives you beauty. It's a divine exchange. You bring everything that's heavy, and I give you the spirit of praise. You bring everything in your life that's broken, and I give you joy and gladness. And the Lord's going to do that tonight. As much as we're going to you know, teach and preach and prophesy and pray, you need to drink in and receive and get under atmosphere. So one more time, just go ahead and lift your hands up. People joining us on the broadcast live, we welcome you. Facebook live, freshfire.tv live, however you're watching the broadcast here tonight from Columbus, get blessed in your home, in your living room, share the broadcast. But uh, all over the room right now, Lord, we want to get under waterfalls of honey. Man, I've had the waterfalls of honey, people. When the presence of God comes and it's like honey, it's so rich and you know, the mountains are dripping with sweet wine and milk and honey and cream and butter and all the other. Isn't it amazing? The Bible says, I will bathe your feet in milk and cream and butter. All these descriptions, you know, the anointing and uh, the fresh oil, the honeycomb. Lord, we want it all. The manna, the fruit. We want to drink, soak and bask and bathe. Oh, Holy Ghost. We want to drink in this sweet wine. Feeling fine. Holy Ghost wine. We love the honey, the oil, the wine. I'm going to get a little drunk and a little filled, overflowing. We're going to talk about growing in the anointing tonight. Flowing in the anointing. Fresh anointing. And there's going to be anointing released and if you were here last night, you heard me say this. You know, the word anointing in itself, you know, it's kind of a charismatic buzzword. The anointing. Fresh anointing. We're going to have an anointing service. Well, the question is, if the anointing means to simply rub, smear, consecrate, or anoint, the anointing is that, that act of taking the oil and anointing the prophet, priest, or king. The anointing itself is not what you're receiving. The question you needed to ask is, what is being released to me in the anointing? What am I being anointed with? It's not just, um, I got the anointing. The anointing is what we do. But there's, what are you going to receive? And we talked about different anointings as far as the impartation. The mantles, the gifts, the preaching, deliverance, healing, worship, revival. These are anointings, mantles, gifts. You know, I love the anointing because it's the empowerment for you to stand in the mantle. And, you know, one thing I realized about gifts, anointings, and mantles is, you know, spiritual gifts, Holy Spirit, Spirit of God gives them as He wills. Mantles have to do with your call, your office. I'm an evangelist. I'm an apostle. I'm a prophet. I'm mantled. This is what I'm called to. And I'm being empowered, anointed to stand in my mantle or to use that gift. And like the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Have you thought about this? The anointing ebbs and flows based on intimacy. So though it's true, the call of God, the God-ordained call for your life, it may come without repentance even, the gifts and callings, but don't think you can fake the anointing. 
the anointing of God ebbs and flows based on intimacy. That's why prayer really does matter. That's why intimacy really does matter. That's why being touched by the presence of God in prayer and intimacy, it, it shows up in your life. You can only go so far just on your mantle, your gift, your charisma, but you need to be empowered. And there's many what I call empowerments, fresh anointing. I love new anointing. Fresh anointing and new anointing are very different. New anointing is when you begin to operate in things you've never flowed in. Fresh anointing is when God anoints what you already have and makes it fresh and new. Do you remember Saul? He said, I'm going to anoint the shield. The shield that was already in war, the shield that was already in battle, it was a little worn, but he said the term, anoint the shield. That means you're going to take the oil, the wine, and you're going to make what you already have stronger. You're not going to get a new shield. You're going to anoint the shield. And you're going to go back out to war, and your prophetic gift, your word of knowledge gift, your healing gift, it's going to be fresh with wine and oil. But, you know, so much of the church is doing the new thing or looking for the new thing. When really the strong thing might be, God, just let there be fresh oil and wine upon what you already gave me. And there are times that God gives new anointing. He gives new abilities. And the Spirit of God, you know, comes upon me, and that's going to be your blessing. But He's in me for mine. That's the transformation. I heard Bill Johnson say at one time, the Spirit of God means on for, He's on me for your sake, but He's in me for mine. And you know, the way the Spirit of God can come upon you, I say it this way, the Spirit of God can be in you, with you, and upon you. You need to know the difference. The in you abiding glory, the with you manifest presence, the upon you empowerment and anointing. And don't mistake the upon you anointing for presence. Because presence and power are very different. You know, Acts 10 verse 38 says, Jesus was anointed with Holy Spirit, and, there's a pause there, and power. Don't make presence power. Don't make power, though it's the anointing, they're very different, presence and power. Jesus was anointed, rubbed and smeared with presence, and he was anointed with power. I want to be anointed with presence and power, and it's presence first. That's what maintains the power, the prayer and intimacy. So that the oil can be fresh and the oil can be new. So we're talking about fresh anointing, new anointing, flowing in the anointing, growing in the anointing. And we're going to have us an anointing impartation meeting. And there's going to be a release of gifts, anointings, and mantles tonight. And fresh empowerment, favor, and ability. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's anointed me to preach, and it can come upon you in that moment to preach, and you can't live under that. As far as the manifest power of God, I mean, just try to operate. Outside of being in the anointing, you just cannot live as much as you can have presence, prayer without ceasing, unbroken fellowship, and presence, and be conscious and aware to be under the anointing that you would need to like raise the dead, to just try to function and live under that 24 hours a day. That would just be impossible. I believe there are moments of anointing. Jesus said, the power of the Lord is present to heal. He was never without the anointing. He was never without the Holy Spirit. But he recognized moments where he said the power is present, suggesting that it wasn't always present the way that it was in that moment. We read that in the Gospel of Luke 5, 17. The power of the Lord is present to heal. He was teaching, he was preaching. He said, the power of the Lord is present. 
Jesus knew anointings. He knew atmospheres. And as much as we love to step out and do what I call automatic Christianity, just kind of the faith thing, and it's all worked out, and it's all planned out because we don't want to miss it, we overthink it, overplan it. There's something about the anointing. It's my life's message, really. There's something about the anointing that's unpredictable. And unless you're willing to be spontaneous and uncomfortable with the flow, the drastic shifts of change that come with the wind, when you think about those who are born of the Spirit, it says the wind comes where it comes, it goes where it goes, nobody knows where it comes from, nobody knows where it goes, so is everyone born of the Spirit of God. So there's something about the suddenlies of the Holy Spirit that just kind of show up with what I call the sudden drastic shifts of change, and you're blowing to and fro, we don't know where you come from, we don't know where you go, because you're following the Holy Spirit. That's the spontaneity. And sometimes when we get over-structured or over-planned or over-think-it, you know, think it, there's no anointing left in it. That's why I love to learn how to flow in the river. And you can have your river ankle-deep, knee-deep, waist-deep, or a river that's so deep you can't cross it, you've got to swim. I know ankle-deep Christians in the anointing. I know, you know Christians that are so deep, they've given it all up. They've, they've, they've held nothing back as far as flow and being spontaneous, not just preaching about the throne, but preaching from the throne. I love that spontaneous prophetic preaching, not just, you know, structured and put together. Every meeting I come into, I'm ready. And I've got something in season. And I've got something I've written and, you know, I put together my message and, you know, my thoughts so I can kind of have direction, you know, not too many rabbit trails. Because I really love to bring the word and teach and preach and equip. And... But there's something about when the Spirit of God comes, wave after wave, right, of the glory and the anointing. How many of you love waves of glory, waves of fire, waves of anointing, waves of wine? And we just want to welcome wave upon wave, tsunami wave upon wave of the Holy Ghost today overwhelming being like rivers isn't it amazing the prophetic picture of what the anointing looks like is not just a little dabble do you down the head and upon the beard but how about rivers when god talked about the anointing he said and rivers of living water i don't know what kind of unlimited constant flow of the anointing you have but i've got rivers and the river of god if you use that language really has not stopped moving but we have People get in and out of the river all the time. But the river that's flowing from the throne, pure living crystal, river of life, healing, and harvest, never stops. It's called the spirit without measure. It's the fullness. And it's not just ankle deep, knee deep. It's a river so deep you can't cross, you've got to swim. And it's the river of God you see in the throne room. And it's going out into the nations, and it gets deeper the further it gets out from the temple. If you read anything about the river of God in Ezekiel 47, it starts out you know, with one measure, and it only gets deeper, another measure of anointing. The further it gets out from the temple is the deeper it gets. And then it becomes a healing river, and then it becomes a harvest, and fishermen alongside the banks, you know. And uh, that's where it's going, people. It's going to go from the renewal to the healing and the miracles to the harvest. It's going out into the nations. And the further it gets out from the church, from the temple, the deeper the river gets. And I believe so it is with the anointing. Because without empty vessels, the oil ceases. 
when the Lord said to the widow, and she said, the creditors are coming, the creditors are coming, help, help, I'm in debt, they're coming to possess all that I have, what did the prophet say? He said, take the little jar of oil that you have in your hand, something that you have in your house in your hand, give it me to work with, give it to me by the word of the Lord, and we will multiply that jar of oil, and you will go to your neighbor's. If that, if that doesn't sound like going to all the world, you will go to your neighbors and get empty jars, empty vessels. You'll bring them back into the house, and then you'll take the jar of oil, the little that you have, and you'll pour it out. Pour out the oil into those vessels and jars, and they're going to be filled up. And when they're full, set the full ones aside. And the oil only ceased when there were no more empty vessels to pour into. Is that not a prophetic picture of going into all the world, reaching your neighbors, reaching people that are broken and empty and need you to pour out the oil and the wine like the good Samaritan on the road that found the one that was broken and brought the oil and the wine? So pouring it out. You know what I love about that story? You know what the prophet said, Elisha? He said this, do not gather a few. We're talking about breakthrough, blessing, Help, help, the creditors are coming, the creditors are coming. And what does the Lord say? I'm going to work with what you have in your house, in your hand. I want you to take that jar of oil, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the little that you have and multiply it, and you're going to pour it into those empty vessels. Do not gather a few. Why? Because you are going to partner together and determine the amount of the breakthrough. Twelve baskets left over, seven baskets left over. So don't get the more vessels that are empty, the more oil is just going to keep flowing. And you're going to fill up all the vessels. And what are you going to do? You're going to sell them, pay off your debt, and live on the rest. That's called overflow. That means God wants to bless me, multiply in my life, give me ability, jubilee. That's not the message today, but there's a spiritual principle in how the anointing flows and works. That when we just kind of regurgitate it one to another inside the church and without having empty vessels to pour into, the oil will cease. But if you're talking about overflow, how many are saying overflow? I want overflow. You know, the feeding of the 5,000, God did that with just a few loaves and fishes, fed 5,000. How many baskets left over? 12. The feeding of the 4,000, how many baskets left over? Seven. Everything about God is overflow more than enough. Don't just settle for a little drop will do you, people, when the Bible talks about rivers of living water. Unstoppable, unlimited, constant flowing, the golden oil of heaven dripping down into the bowls, filling the lampstands. God didn't just send the oil. He said, these are the sons of fresh oil. You remember the sons of fresh oil, the daughters of fresh oil in Zechariah 4? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Here's the picture. I'm going to give two olive trees so that they can produce. Do you know how much you know, oil? Just one tree. God said, I'm going to bring two olive trees just so that the continual dripping of oil into the bowls and the reciprocals. And then we're going to call you the sons of fresh oil. Because you're going to live by the lampstand. You're going to live by the tree. You're going to be the reason. How many of you know what David said? One time David made this, you know, and I thought about it for a moment. I think it was Psalms 50, verse 6. Here's what David said. I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I am like a green olive tree planted in the house of God. 
You've got to be planted in the house of God, planted in the secret place, planted in the presence of God, and then you will be like a green olive tree. What, what does that mean? It means you are the reason there's oil. You are the one producing, source. How many want to be the source of oil? You show up in a city, a church, a ministry, a region, you are the green olive tree. You bring it with you in your supply. Here am I, and I brought my open heaven with me. I'm no longer dependent upon outside external sources, but I'm tapped in like a tree with these deep roots. I'm a mighty oak of righteousness. That's the anointing people. David, I wondered about that verse. Why would he call himself, I'm like a green olive tree? Why wouldn't he be like any other tree? And it's how the olive tree produces the oil. The reason, the supply, the source. David was tapped into the supply. He wasn't moving upon somebody else's gift or anointing or ability or charisma or talent. He was directly connected in like a tree planted by the rivers whose leaf did not wither but prospered and brought forth its fruit in season every month. The mouth that's filled with the word of God will be full of the power of God. I'm telling you people, we want to be full of the power of God. We need to be full of the word of God, a tree planted. we got to have those roots and be plugged in. So I'm going to share some things tonight out of my life and ministry, 20 years of preaching in fresh anointing, in flowing in the anointing, in growing in the anointing, and we're going to have us anointing service tonight. We're going to have an impartation And I I can't even begin to say what you're going to be anointed with, but it won't be the same. I'm not just going to pray for healing anointing. God may come and mantle you and anoint you for revival or harvest or awakening or glory or worship or deliverance or miracle workers. Let's just kind of be wide open to the buffet of God. You know, we tend to think we have to get the whole room moving in the same anointing, receiving the same anointing. And you know, you know, it's amazing. I saw the anointing one time, and, and I saw it like colors, light, like blue, green, yellow. I said, Lord, what is that? Red and pink. And he said, those are the, that's the anointing. And I said, but all those colors. He said, yeah, the anointing is, you know, it's colorful, and uh, it's manifold. And, you know, red could be Christ, the wisdom of God, the power of God. Purple could be royalty and majesty. And white could be, you know, purity and holiness. And green could be prosperity and knowledge. And yellow could be gifts and the glory. And, you know, you could go on with all the descriptions of like lights, colors, and sounds. But I was in a meeting praying for people, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing. And I saw people receiving different colors. And I thought I was releasing the anointing, like the anointing, the anointing, the anointing. And then I saw blue, green, yellow, pink, love and emotion. I said, God, what are those colors? He said, I'm teaching you um, the anointing by colors. And when you see yellow, when you see blue, when you see red, and, you know, I don't really teach those things because they're my language. They, they don't just get cookie-cuttered, passed on. You know, we all have a dream language. We all have a language of the Spirit when moving and flowing in the anointed that cannot be taught but caught, and it could operate and flow through you very differently than it flowed through the other vessels. People talk about what happens when the healing comes and how they feel it, and it's in their right arm or their right hand or their left arm or their left hand. And Well, who was right, William Branham or Earl Roberts? They were on opposite ends of the same healing anointing. One would feel it in their arm and their left hand, and one would feel it in their arm and their right hand, you know, but it was all the healing. 
And so you can't go by just those things like colors and the way we feel. And when, you know, Bobby Connors would preach, I'd be with him and he'd say, there's a tingling in my ear. It's witchcraft. Well, for me, that's a whole other thing when God moves in my ear. The angel of the Lord is trying to get my attention, give me a word of knowledge or something. So, you know, how we respond to the language of the Spirit when flowing and moving in the anointing, you might, you know, feel something in your body, pain that's not yours. God's speaking to you about healing. But I see my words of knowledge. I have a divine knowing or flowing thought. And, you know, just how God gives other people their revelation, how God gives people their prophetic is very different. Some people don't have the stammering, shaking sensations, you know, and I'm very cautious to teach manifestations, but they are a language of the spirit. Pay attention because God speaks and moves on all your senses. You hear God in what you taste. You hear God in what you smell. You hear God in what you hear. You hear God in what you feel and, 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 and you know, what you smell, what you discern. You hear God in all your senses. You're trying to hear the voice of God. It may be in what you feel. I'm a seer. I'm a feeler. I'm a discerner. But I saw all these colors. And I said, Lord, those are different anointings. And I thought I was praying anointing, anointing, anointing. But the Lord would say, nope, there goes healing. Oh, there goes the prophetic. Oh, there goes miracles. He was mantling people differently in the same prayer line. It was like a buffet or smorgasbord. Of abilities and gifts, and the anointing is creative. Do you believe that? I love lights, colors, and sounds. Lord, open our eyes to see with the oils flowing. Learn and pay attention to maybe your anointing language. How you know God's giving you the unction to function. That's what we call it, right? Well, how do you know you're being unctioned? I wonder what Kenneth Hagin would, would describe when he would feel the anointing before joy would come into rooms and he would lift his hands and five rows would fall into the power. How do you know that's coming? When you just kind of go, hey, you, bam, and you just know the anointing. How do you know that's coming? Jesus knew within himself, the Bible says. In Mark 5, we read about the issue of blood, the woman, but it says Jesus knew within himself that power had went out from him. Nobody on the outside knew but Jesus. Would we even know or recognize the moment of anointing and when it's leaving and when it's flowing and when it's coming and how do you know what anointing it is, when it's joy, when it's glory, when it's fire, when it's revival? I want you to pray for a sensitivity tonight. Lord, teach me to grow in and flow in the anointing. I want to steward the anointing. Not a lot of preachers do I know teach on the anointing. Just a handful. And a lot of what was taught on the anointing was, you know, 10, 15, 20 years back. We need people to demonstrate. You catch it. But we just kind of need a whole new descriptive terminology. And I never realized how much there was in the anointing until I attempted to teach on the anointing. And did a whole, like, ministry school 20 hours teaching just on anointing. I was like, man, there's a lot of stuff in here. You know, people are like, oh, oh, the anointing is, you know, the power of God. You know, the gifts in manifestation, there's the power of God, somebody's slanting the spirit or whatever. We're limited in our understanding. God wants to give us more. So who's hungry tonight for more, for just fresh and new and the anointing upon the city, the anointing upon the region, rivers of living water. The Father gives the Holy Spirit freely to those that ask Him. I'm going to give you just a few. I'm going to kind of teach a little bit and be as focused as I can. 
so I can have lots of time for this ministry and impartation and healing and flowing in the Holy Ghost and then do it again tomorrow morning. I'm going to bring a prophetic word tomorrow morning for 2018 about breakout, breakout favor, going from breakthrough to breakout. And I received something just last week. And I wasn't expecting or praying about 2018, you know, as far as I was concerned, the Rosh Hashanah, the Day of Atonement, the Jewish calendar, the new year, it's kind of come already, the new beginning. If God was going to do anything, he's going to do it by the Hebrew. And then the Lord said, I got a word for you for 2018, just kind of how we understand and interpret cycles and seasons. We don't tend to all move by that clock. You know, the new year was really in September. And they celebrate 10 years or 10 days, of the, you know, of awe. And it's a new calendar, 5778, you know. But the Lord shocked me in the sense that he said, hey, I want to talk to you for a minute about the word of the Lord for 2018, which normally wouldn't even be my language. What's the word of the Lord for 2015? What's the word of the Lord for 2019? I'm just not one of those buzzword type prophets, got to get the word for the year. So I wasn't praying about it. I was like in my garage listening to ACDC rock and roll music, you know. <laughs> wasn't even being saved, right? Because I was listening to like 80s can't believe I put it out there. It's on Facebook, you know, all my heresy henner friends. And I was like, I got my record player out, and I was just, you know. And then the Spirit of God came on me and said, hey, I got a word for you. Almost midnight on a Wednesday night. And he said, write this down. And I couldn't even, you know, it comes so fast. It was like a flowing river of, here's the word of the Lord, 2018. We're going to go from breakthrough to breakout and I'm going to prophesy that and release that tomorrow morning. And I got it out. You know, I prophesied in Memphis on a Thursday night. You know, and I was like, here's the word of the Lord, 2018. So I really want to deliver that and release that tomorrow morning. And you can watch the broadcast live if you are on Facebook. But I posted it and, you know, put it on our, you know, social media. Went out on the Elijah list and all the other stuff. But uh, I'm really praying and positioning myself to catch the spirit of what God's doing and saying. You know, he's always doing a new thing. It's always a new beginning. Today, today if you hear his voice, every day is today because his mercies are due every morning. We get a fresh new every day. It's not just about tomorrow, last year, next year. There's something about God that's today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We have a choice to make every day with what God says to us, whether we're going to be obedient. So today, Say today. Today is today. Tomorrow is today. Yesterday is today. He's the one. He's your future, your present, your past. The one who is, who was, and is to come at the same time. The beginning and the end, the author, the finisher at the same time. So surely God knows tomorrow. The Holy Spirit will show you things yet to come. I love living in the realm of what's happening tomorrow, today. That's how I get words of knowledge and ministry and prophetic stuff. I just kind of, you know, live tomorrow, today. That's called tasting of the powers of the age to come, pulling into today the future kingdom age. The Bible says we get to taste of the powers of the age to come, tasting the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. We get the taste of the coming kingdom today. And yet it's happened from the beginning to the end already. And so I just love to just think that way because I get more revelation. Because when God thinks, he thinks in terms of it's finished tomorrow, author, finisher. You could trust in the one that started a good work in you to finish it. 
There's something about the one that started will finish. Trust in that. That's a sovereignty doctrine thing, but I am a predestination. And as much as I believe in the sovereignty, I also believe in the call, you know, moving, action, choice, decision. Regardless if you think it's all planned out anyways, there's still a part that you play, and God maybe knew that you were already going to play that part. But you still play. I love mystery, by the way. Just love sovereignty, love mystery, love the whole idea that he's God and I'm not. And I get to spend all of eternity seeking and asking questions, what are the secrets of the universe? Heaven would get boring pretty fast if I just kind of got there and saw it all for what it was. Entered in through the gates. We're all on the same level of there's heaven. What would you do for the rest of eternity? I'm going to learn about the anointing. I'm going to learn about the power of God and the presence and the unsearchable riches of Christ, the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and I'm just going to keep discovering. Because that's just how big God is, that the heavens of heavens cannot contain God. So I want to just kind of give you a couple what we could call keys. So the teacher in me, to be kind of focused, I want to give you 10 points about the anointing. And I don't want to preach them all, because that would be about 10 hours. But let's just go ahead. I'm going to open my iPad here tonight and pray that my assistant helped me get all my notes. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a mighty shout. Yeah, glory. Stay in the flow with me, people. Hallelujah. So, um, praise God. <laughs> I'm feeling a little drunk and my iPad's upside down and I just started preaching with this thing. Usually I don't even have notes, but just to kind of save you just a minute. I'm going to have you open your Bible, though, to my favorite verse on the anointing, Proverbs 21. Just go ahead and do that. Proverbs 21. We'll end up talking about this, but oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, let us grow in the anointing tonight. Let us flow in the anointing tonight. The Holy Spirit, let me say this. This is one of my favorite keys and quotes. And The Holy Spirit is the key to the anointing. When we begin to honor the Holy Spirit in our lives, allow Him to minister through us, we will begin to understand the anointing. One of the greatest keys. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I want to know you, love you. I want you in my life, in my ministry, in my church, communion, fellowship. Holy Spirit. When I discovered the reality and the person of the Holy Spirit was when my life changed. That's when the power of God came. That's when the anointing came. And when talking about or praying for the anointing, I tend to talk more about Holy Spirit, fellowship, communion, and loving and having, you know, communion with Holy Spirit than I do praying for fresh anointing. And it's like the more I just value, love, and honor Holy Spirit, the more the power shows up. It's like a divine happening. When you put all your love and attention and focus on Holy Spirit. I love the way Sean transitioned tonight because it was so much about Holy Spirit, we need you. Holy Spirit, we love you. Holy Spirit, we want you. It was just Holy Spirit filled and focused. Now, I know you want to be Jesus focused. And you want to be, you know, Father focused. And the fullness of God, three persons. And we don't want to be all schizophrenic God, but, you know, breaking it down God is three persons. 
And so if you want the fullness of God, it should be natural that you will not have the fullness of God until you have full fellowship with the Father, full fellowship with the Son, full fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And somebody said to me one time, I'm having fellowship with the Father when I have fellowship with Jesus. I'm having fellowship with the Holy Spirit when I have fellowship with Jesus. And, you know, you're just kind of complicating the whole thing. And I said, if you don't know that God is one but yet three, and when the presence of Holy Spirit is in the room, it's very different than when the presence of Jesus is in the room. It's very different when the presence of the Father is in the room. Yes, it's the presence of God in the room, but God being three persons. That was kind of the first thing I had to get by faith, the whole like Godhead the mystery of the Godhead, trying to figure out how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all. But when I discovered how to have communion and fellowship with Jesus, that was kind of a given, you know, getting saved and friend closer than any brother. My struggle was the Father thing. Because it was like, Holy Lord God Almighty, Yahweh, creator of the heavens and the earth, the fear of the Lord, don't kind of bring the gavel down and throw me into the lake of fire. I couldn't relate to the idea of like this Abba Father, Daddy God. Still really struggle with the whole idea of, hey, Daddy, you know, not that we need to. I don't think we're intended to just run around Daddy, 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 everything, Daddy God. I think, you know, he's God, he's Father. He's, he's Daddy in the sense of relational. How many of you know the biggest change between the Old and New Testament? People really struggle with that, you know, 430-year Old Testament God, New Testament God. The Old Testament was based on transaction. So you do something God said, I'll do. The New Testament is based on relationship. So the New Covenant is relational. The Old Testament is, you know, like bargain and transaction, and God said, you do, I'll do. But in the New Testament, it's all like intimacy and sonship. And I really struggled when I got saved having a broken home and no father. And my father, the image of my father was just like, Outlaw biker gangs, drugs, prison, alcohol. Dad would take me to Angel Acres at 11 years old and, you know, let's hang out with banditos and hell's angels for three days and drink and drunk and drugs and women at 11. And I, I drank with my dad and got drunk at 11. My dad's drug dealer became my drug dealer. You know, and so I went on to have a real broken, you know, dysfunctional kind of mom raised me in poverty, $700 a month, never had a job, raised me on welfare, $700 a month. That's poverty. Food stamps, you know, that kind of thing. Welfare. My dad, there was never any like support or alimony, and he loved God, you know, now, or he loves God now, but he, he was an addict for over 30 years. Drug addict, alcoholic, didn't know how to be a father, raised me up around outlaw biker gangs, that kind of thing. So I was in prison at 15. I served a 17-month prison sentence before I was 16. And went on to have three drug overdoses, a suicide attempt at, you know, when I got out of prison, took 40 pills, tried to commit suicide. You know, I lived a lifetime before I was 20. And so when I got saved, I had no idea of how to relate to God, the universe, creator, like father. That was a big thing for me, father's heart. Still is. Knowing the father as a, a father, relational, family. The kingdom being family. I might be good with like gifts and power and anointing and ministry, but this whole family, you know, brothers and sisters and family, I didn't have any brothers or sisters. My mother raised me. She was totally deaf, so that was a big handicap. Nobody wants to give a deaf, divorced woman, you know, a job. She heard nothing. So I couldn't communicate with my mother. I didn't have any brothers or sisters, 
And the only communication I had with my father was around like drugs and, you know, alcohol and every other perversity. But when I found Jesus, you know, and I, you know, Jesus, it was all Jesus. And then I got introduced to the whole like idea of the father, the father loves you. And I'll tell you when I got set free was when I was reading, you know, the Lord's prayer, John 17, the Lord's prayer. And Jesus made this one statement. He said, Father, thank you that you have loved them as you have loved me. And I kind of staggered at the revelation. Father, you loved me with the exact same love that you loved Jesus, no less. Yes, while we were yet sinners, he died. But the Father loves me. And I said it. I walked around for like days. The Father loves me. Like me. Like as a son. The Father. Father loves me. And accepts me. And the whole story of the prodigal son, before he even got into the house and fully repented, the father ran to him and fell on his neck and kissed him and embraced him and put the ring on him. And Even in my pain and shame and sin and brokenness, the father's running to me. He's running to the prodigal son. He's running to the prodigal daughter, falling you know, in compassion with love, receiving you back into the house like any other good father that gives good gifts. When I discovered the goodness of the Father, He gives every good and perfect gift. What I would be willing to do for my son and daughter, the Father would do better and more. I would never give to my children sickness. I would never give to my children disease. I would never give. So my thoughts about who God was or my image was being totally restored and healed in my revelation of you know Father's love, Father's goodness. And then once I got that, I said, what about this Holy Spirit? Because he's like spooky, Holy Ghost. Doesn't tend to have a form, you know? He didn't have a form. I can identify at least to, you know, Jesus, like the man. Maybe the image of the Father. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. But what about Holy Ghost? Wind, fire, the dove, rivers, cream, milk, butter. I couldn't relate to, like, Holy Ghost, you know, if that's... Holy Ghost. Like some wind is coming from heaven. And so when I said Holy Spirit, like you know, a person, come Holy Spirit, I want to know you, you know. And he begun to come. And I started to know Holy Spirit person, like friend. Boy, that's when the power of God came. And I started to realize that I could spend time with Holy Spirit just like I could spend time with Father. Just like I could spend time with Jesus. And it got to the place, you know, where God, I'd be able to know if it was the presence of Jesus in the room or the presence of the Father in the room or the presence of the Holy Spirit in the room. And most people don't know the difference. You know, yes, it's all God, but God being three persons, you need to have communion with all three. And sometimes you are having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You are having fellowship with the Father. You are having fellowship with the Jesus. You know, to know the fullness of God. So it all changed when I said, Holy Spirit, come. And, you know, the fact that he can be in you, with you, and upon you, different manifestations or expressions. And what we struggle with is the whole idea of how can you ask him to come when he's in you? Like, I'm a temple. So when am I ever without the Holy Spirit, theologically? When am I ever out, you know, of the fullness of God? But manifesting the reality of fullness is kind of a different. So in my theology, like I'm positionally, but I was like, where's my experience? 
that Holy Spirit is with me. Jesus said he would be in me and with me and come upon me. And so I know the difference between he comes upon me, anoints me, but I know when he's with me and I'm moving and he's moving with me. And then he's always in me. This abiding glory. And, we, and that's why, you know, as Christians, we struggle with come Holy Spirit. You know, really what we're saying is manifest yourself in a conscious way. That's what we're really saying when we say come. But don't get your brain in there. It's like the, the, the husband, I always say the men, you blame the men. Because, you know, the, the need for a woman to feel love and romance, like, do you love me? It's kind of what my wife will say to me just randomly. Like, do you love me? I was like, you mean now or today or yesterday or in the commitment or like in the covenant? Do we need to go back and watch the wedding again? Like, of course I love you. Can you just rest in knowing? That's what we do to God. When we say, come Holy Spirit, we get all bent. Oh, you can't ask him to come because he's in you and lo, I am with you always. And I... We don't have this divine like affections, like emotions and romance with God. Sometimes God, he knows you love him. He's God. Knows everything. But get out of your head and be able to woo Holy Spirit if he wants to. Just love him. And don't be afraid to love Holy Spirit. Somebody said, I love Holy Spirit. And I said, well, how about this? Does this offend you? Really? Now think about it. Worship Holy Spirit. It's something inside. Worship the Father. Worship God. Worship Jesus. But when I said worship Holy Spirit, there was something inside of me that went, wait a minute. How do you worship Holy Spirit? If he's no less than God, right, like co-equal, and we just assuming you kind of know that already, and if not, you probably need to read my book on Holy Spirit. I said, you are as worthy of worship as the Father in Jesus. So I started to worship Holy Spirit. I always ended up at the feet of Jesus, you know, seeing and knowing and loving Jesus more. But I would always start out trying to go, you know what, let me tell you something, Holy Spirit. You're wonderful. You're beautiful. You're mighty. Let me just kind of say who you are and why I need you and why I love you. And I would just say, come. Even though I knew he was with me and he was in me, and he's, I would just acknowledge the fact that he was in the room. Just by acknowledging Holy Spirit more, the more he seemed to show up in power. It's like talk about angels, and they just seem to show up more. We don't talk about Holy Spirit enough. In the fear that what if we're giving more attention to the Holy Spirit than we do Jesus? Ever been there? I literally was repenting and I said, Father, forgive me, but I think I'm spending too much time with Holy Spirit. <laughs> I don't want to forget about Jesus, you know? I better split up the clock 30 minutes with Jesus, 30 minutes with the Father, 30 minutes with the Holy Spirit. Man, I got all stuck. And then I would hear people, you know, Catherine Colvin, I'm going to spend 12 hours with Holy Spirit. And I was like, 12 hours? What do you talk about? I mean, I run out of things to pray about after 10 minutes. Well, that's when real prayer begins because communion isn't the same as prayer. You have to learn how to just kind of be with and talk to Holy Spirit. You know, for me, I would just read the Bible to the Holy Spirit. Hey, Holy Ghost, look what it says right here. And then I would read the passage to the Holy Spirit. I mean, he wrote the whole thing, but I would, I would be reading and it was like over my shoulder. I was like, you know, there he is, you know, look what you said, person, Holy Spirit, you know, you ever read the paper or something, somebody's over your shoulder, you just know they're there, like they're in the room. 
And I had the Spirit of God come in my room. Sometimes I'm like, you're here, aren't you? And he's like, well, who do you think it is? <laughs> First time I ever said, come Holy Spirit. And then he came and I kind of felt something in the atmosphere and I didn't know what to do. I said, is that you? And he said, well, who do you think it is? I was so afraid, I went running into my room and literally hid under my bed. True story. I didn't know what to do with the Holy Ghost when he came. What do you do when he comes? I remember praying at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I said, okay, Holy Spirit, I want to know you, and I want you to be real, and I'm going to invite you as a person into my living room, into my apartment. I want you to come right now. I was waiting for like wind, fire, earthquakes, lightning. I didn't know what was coming. The dove of God. And there was like this atmosphere, you know, electric, and I knew there was a person in the room. You know that feeling? You know, demonically, I knew that feeling because of like demonic things and apparitions, and I would feel presence, you know. But when the Holy Spirit came, I'd never really felt like the Holy Spirit come, you know, outside of like the gifts or the anointing or slain in the Spirit or manifestations or prophecy or something. But then now this person came into my room, and I said, Holy Spirit, is that you? I literally said it into the air. And I heard this voice say back, who do you think it is? I ran out of the room. I thought the Holy Ghost just told me it was here. And I didn't know what to do after that, how to worship, how to host. I didn't know how to talk or even pray because you pray to the Father in Jesus' name. You don't pray to the Holy Spirit. But I had learned how to have conversations. And that was the secret to the anointing. It is to this day the secret and the key is Holy Spirit. And when the daughter comes running in and says, Daddy, boy, does that melt the heart. And when we say, Father, have a father, Daddy. Hello? How about a kiss? She kind of just realized it was all Daddy and I didn't see anything else. And then she saw you. Holy Ghost, we love you, we honor you, we welcome you. We want a fresh revelation. Would you come into our lives? Could you welcome him in the, in to Columbus? I mean, don't let your theology get in the way. Like your head get, oh, he's here already, brother. Let me tell you about why I know why. Let me tell you about the prophecy we got in 1988. If you would just believe by faith that he's here already, you would have more. How's that working out for you? Your shadow healing the sick yet? How many resurrections of the dead? How many millions have you reached with the gospel? You know, I meet these intellectual Christians, you know, and they're like, we have the fullness of God, you know, finished work, and let me tell you all the reasons we're full already. And then I went, but you have no manifestation of that fullness. You're not shaken nations. You're not, I mean, somewhere along the lines, fruit really does matter. I see a whole generation, and, and as much as I believe we need to think better and believe better and be full, confession, identity, we need experience. That's kind of the difference between theology and manifestation is experience. So my goal is to encounter and experience Holy Spirit every time I pray. I'm looking to have an encounter. I am an experiential Christian. I said it. Literally, when I go to pray, I go to pray to say, come Holy Spirit, every day. And I know that he's there, and lo, I'm with you always, and I get the theology of it all, but the romance of it. I want you to be in Columbus. I want you to be in Zion. I want to step into the pulpit and I want to know that you're with me and on me and through me and fill me again. Somebody said, you can't be full, you know, just full once. 
And I was like, but Paul said, be filled constantly. I said, I don't even pretend to try to understand how many times you can be filled and why, but I know there's more. So come, Holy Spirit, fill me. And I can pray tomorrow, come, Holy Spirit, fill me. And he gives the Holy Spirit freely to those that ask. And so I got humble enough to this, you know, raw hunger. Give me Holy Spirit freely. God, I want to measure upon me, in me, with me, on me, clothe me. I don't know how it all works, but rivers. And it better work its way out. Because I want to experience, because the Bible says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, one of the greatest keys to growing in the anointing is having encounter, because it's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, not came, when he comes, what do you receive? Power. Every time he comes upon you, you receive power. When he comes upon you tonight in the prayer line, power. When he comes upon you tomorrow in church, power. When he comes upon you the next day, power. It's not when he came six years ago, ten years ago, six months ago. But when the Holy Spirit comes, what do you get? Power to be a witness. And every time he comes... Power. And if they got filled once in Acts 2 and they got filled again in Acts 4, that's enough for me that there's more than one filling. There would have been no need for Peter and John. The place where they prayed was shaken and they were all filled. There would be no need for that if Pentecost was enough. There would be no need for Paul to say, constantly keep on be filled with the Spirit if there wasn't a flowing river that you just receive and give at the same time. And theologically, I couldn't get it together because I could never say, come Holy Spirit, because my brain said he's already here. It's like I didn't get the whole love thing. You know I love you. She said, I know, but I want to just hear. Like in the moment. Present in the moment, do you love me? You know, my wife will say, yeah, you know, do you love me? And I'll say, you know I love you. And as men, we could just be like, that should be enough. Like, one, I love you. I'm not a good communicator. You know, I'm not a verbal processor. And, you know, I just don't do well with emotion and vulnerability. So here it is, one love you for the year. <laughs> Loveless dead marriages, you know. That's you and the Holy Spirit. Like, because in our theology, we're like, well, you know, we, we, we got it already. We're a temple. We're full. And hallelujah. Praise God. Don't need to be full again. God Pentecost. Hallelujah. Come, Holy Spirit. Come into Columbus. Come into Zion. Come into my life. Let me know there's more. You think, I mean, he's an endless river. You won't even begin to understand the anointing until you know Holy Spirit. It took me 17 years to know Holy Spirit enough that I felt I could write anything about Holy Spirit. I could have filled up five books just on Holy Spirit. I could feel him. Listen, the more you talk about him, the more he just kind of moves in real close. (laughs) My voice even changes. My wife says, man, when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, the deeper you get, the more your voice just kind of Do you ever hear Catherine Coleman? It was like when the spirit was really there and moving, her voice kind of just did stuff. I think it was the anointing. It wasn't just being spooky for the sake of spooky. (laughs) Some people are just weird and spooky, but, you know, manufacturing some kind of frequency, you know, or 
I literally have had people tell me, they go, your voice, you shift gears in the spirit and you can, in your voice, you can tell how God's moving. I never learned it, never planned it, didn't become Pentecostal. I wouldn't even identify myself as a Pentecostal in the sake of like, you know, are you a Pentecostal? I'd say, no, I'm kind of a revival guy. Just, you know, I live Pentecost, but don't define me by the idea of, you know, Pentecost in, in like doctrine or the Assemblies of God or the POAC church in Canada. I said, I'm just kind of apostolic and revival, and I believe in the fullness of Pentecost. Why can't we be like Pentecostal, like Baptists, Pentecostal Mennonites, Pentecostal <laughs> Catholics, you know? I know Catholics that are full of Pentecost. They live gifts, tongues, like all of it. They're born again. They're Catholics. They mentored me on Monday nights when I got saved. Six months in charismatic mass on Monday nights. Todd Bentley learned the gifts of the Spirit from nuns. Catholics taught me and Frenchie. That's another story. Frenchie and the Catholics, full of the Holy Spirit, taught me on Monday nights for six months about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They all had a song. They all had a revelation. All, all, all had a tongue and revelation, interpretation. All had prophecy. And I was hanging out with the Monday night charismatic Catholics. Whew. Boy, that kind of offends people, you know. They're like, you sound Pentecostal. You preach and even have the thee and the thou and the God, you know, you even have the, you overemphasize the points, you know. I said, I didn't like pick that up or learn that or emulate that off, you know, television or something. I got saved in Canada in, in, in the woods, really. Like 3,000 people and you had to take a boat to get there. There's nobody in Gibson's B.C. They made one little TV show called The Beachcombers. I don't even know if it made it out of Canada. But I was like, man, when I got saved, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know if I should be watching Jack Van Impey, John Hagee, Betty Hinn, whoever I saw on the TV. But when I met Holy Spirit, it all changed. Now, let me just give you a couple. We're going to go to my favorite scripture. <laughs> One of the greatest keys to being full of the power of God is to be presently full of the Holy Spirit. Because you shall receive power when he comes, not came. So encounter. If I was to give you ten keys to growing in the anointing, that would be one, number one. You get the idea of, you know, I could do a whole school just on the anointing. But for the sake of time, I'm going to stick. Now, let me tell you where the divine overflow is. Psalms 23. He anoints my head with fresh oil. Right? What happens? My cup overflows. It's an automatic. Divine overflow is an automatic because you've been anointed with fresh oil. People that aren't in the overflow aren't being anointed with fresh oil. When he anoints my head with oil, my cup will overflow. It's an overflow because you're currently being touched and filled. And where's the place of anointing? The table. A table for me in the midst of my enemies. This is where God anoints your head. You prepare a table for me. With all my enemies around me to see, fear and sin and sickness and disease and whatever is around me, God uses that as the point of promotion and increase. You prepare a table for me so all my enemies can see. 
I want the devil to see. I'm at God's table, the feast, and the Lord's anointing me with fresh oil for all my enemies around me to see. God's favor and promotion. And when he anoints your head with oil, what happens? Your cup will overflow. Don't go after the overflow. Go after encounter Holy Spirit. Overflow is an automatic. I want you to go to my, I told you to go to my favorite verse in Proverbs 21. And I could just preach this one verse. I'll really try not to. But it says in verse 20, There is desirable treasure, oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. There is a desirable treasure. How many of you know the treasure, Holy Spirit, gifts, anointings, mantles, the treasure that we all desire. I mean, you find that one pearl of great price, the field, you will sell all that you have to buy the field. If you cannot see Holy Spirit in the anointing as the most precious commodity, costly, more costly than any gold, and know how to value and honor the anointing, you'll never possess it. You must understand that this kingdom treasure, the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge, the unsearchable riches of Christ, is worth you giving up your life for. Denying yourself every day. Because just one revelation of kingdom is a pearl of great price. You need to treat it that way. That it's more costly and more precious than rubies, gold. So if a man, you know, profits everything in this world but loses his soul, it will profit you nothing. You can gain everything and the kingdoms of this world. But the anointing cannot be bought cannot be purchased or paid for. It is free, but yet it costs you everything. And the idea that we don't pay a price is kind of a, you know, it's crept into the church, the idea that that was some kind of old, we've got to have some kind of updated grace teaching now and kind of just get it, it's free, it's a gift. And yeah, it's all grace, but to believe that it does not and will not cost you everything. Depending, surrender, obedience, there is a price for the anointing. I won't even begin to tell you what it is because I don't know what it is because the way you pay it may be very different than the way I paid it. You know, what we've done wrong in the church today is to try to take our process in God and put it on. It's kind of the most, when you want to duplicate the process, in somebody that's being touched and anointed and raised up very different. You don't just take the, well, it was 40 years of Moses. I had a pastor, he really wanted to just kind of shepherd me in. And his process became what he expected. And I just paid a different price. God did things much faster. God did things much different. That you got to be careful in trying to pass on some Dealings of God and crushing and suffering, as much as all that may be true, I have no idea what it's going to cost you as far as what you paying the price will look like. 
I can tell you I paid a price in a way I never believed I would pay when I was 22 and said yes to the anointing. Looking back almost 20 years, there are things I may have not done had I known the pain. Decisions, choices, unnecessary battles. I would have thought that's just too much. That's just going to cost way. I don't know that I can do that. So the Lord just kind of hid it from me. I had to walk it out. And I always caution people when you talk about the price or the cost. There's not some book you can buy. Ten keys and steps to the anointing. Here's all the secrets. Do these things. We must not teach as principal presence. When talking about the anointing, there is a desirable treasure, people. It's the presence. And where do you find the oil? The Bible says here in Proverbs 21, 20. Where's the oil? In the dwelling of the wise. You have to discern where is the oil. It's not just everywhere. My pastor used to always say, well, you know, we got the same Jesus here. Why do you need to go to that church down the street or that conference or, you know, cross town? And theologically, he was correct. But he honestly at that time did not have the oil that I needed to get to where I was going. And God was moving in another ministry that I would go to to, because I saw the oil was there. And if the oil was in Argentina, I would have went there. If the oil was in Canada, I would have went to Toronto. If the oil was in Pensacola, Florida, I would have went there. If the oil was in Redding, California, I might go there. If the oil was in Columbus at Zion, I might come here. But we have this idea of, well, we have the same anointing, and you know, we don't want to give the idea that there's people that might have more or what you need in the moment. We've got to humble ourselves sometimes and go, you know what? I needed what Benny Hinn carried in a season. I've needed what other men and women of God carried in a moment and in a season, and I had to be humble enough to go get what they had and say, pray for me. But as hard as that was, you know why? Because I had my own oil. Got the same spirit. The oil is not just anywhere. The 400 men that were with David knew it was with him. In the caves. In the wilderness. Not even as the king of all Israel. Then the crowds come. But to discern and see the oil when you're hanging out in the caves of Adullam and the only people that are really coming to your meetings are discontent, broke, outcasts that nobody wants. And here's your kingdom. And David loved them, mentored them, trained them, raised them up. They became the mighty men of David. I mean, to be able to see where the oil is without the money and the, and, and the glamour and the glitz and the crowds... Because that stuff will come later. But where is the oil? Will you go there? If God breaks out and you, and you know that God's moving in some city or church or ministry, are you hungry enough to go there and then get in the line and get some? I preach for churches and ministries all the time, not here, but places I do go. And it's like if the pastors get in line for prayer. They're like watching the flock. You guys going to get yours? Because I got it. I'll be here next Sunday to give it to you the way I got it. And it's just a pride thing. To receive from others sometimes that might have something different or more in the moment. I recognize favor on people too. 
People have seasons of favor, and I was like, when it's their favor, listen, God loves me, but I don't have the favor on me that I had before. And there'll be favor on me tomorrow that may be different than the favor I have now, but I can perceive the favor of God on who's the favor on. And if you can't rejoice in the favor when you see it on others or other churches or other, they might even outshine you for a season. But when you were shining, and you will shine again. Don't think the love of God and the favor of God are one and the same. You can't make God love you anymore, but favor. We need to be praying for not just more power. We need to be praying for more favor. Your ministry, your business doesn't need power. You know what it needs? Favor. What you're lacking isn't more gifts and power and anointing. Some of us, what we're lacking is favor. Favor will make the difference. It'll get you there. It'll keep you there. You've already got the vision and the kingdom and the anointed and the favor and appointed. And we're trying to get more of this power and anointing when sometimes it's just God acknowledge and favor this a little bit. So the others can see what I know. Where's the oil? In the dwelling of the wise. You've got to go after it. You've got to find the oil. You better be able to recognize it even when it's in the caves and in the wilderness. It's easy to see, you know, success and numbers and crowds and money and how we evaluate what we think matters sometimes. Fruit does matter, but how I measure success is going to be when I get to heaven, the Lord's going to ask, did you learn to love? Not how many demons I cast out, not how many miracles, not how many stadiums, crusades. He's going to say, did you know me? Did you love me? Depart from me, I never knew you. These were people that cast out demons in my name, prophesied in my name, did miracles in my name, and, and they weren't false prophets. They were people that knew the Lord. Somewhere along the lines, they learned how to prophesy, they learned how to cast out demons, they learned how to do miracles, and in the end, they stood before the Lord, and the Lord said, depart from me, I never knew you. These are Christians. And I said, Lord, what does that even mean? He said, the word know you or knew you means you cease to be known. But you were known. Do you know why you ceased to be known? Because you no longer make yourself open and vulnerable. It's like the marriage that they're married, but they don't have any. It's just a dead, there's no interaction. There's no first love. When you lose that, yeah, you're, you're saved. And you lose your salvation. I'm not, but apparently the Lord said, depart from me, I never knew you. You've ceased to be known because you stopped fanning the flame of intimacy and prayer and communion, spending time loving me. It's going to be dangerous when we just maintain the gifts and callings. And the longer we stay saved, the more of a challenge it is to guard and have our secret place. I didn't have to work so hard when I had the raw hunger and zeal. And God saved me and my drug dealer's trader. I didn't have to, you know, I wanted to be in prayer five days a week. I just, to spend 12 hours a day was just without any work or effort. And today I battle to just, you know, stay in the word sometimes. Pray because I'm hungry. Not because it's the Christian thing. I met one of the most precious Christians you'll ever meet. And every day at 6 a.m., he'd get up and pray in the Holy Ghost. I could hear him in my room. I, he'd be praying every day, faithful, for years. Just 6 a.m. 
And he'd read the Bible, two chapters, and pray some prayers, and then he'd go to work at seven. Just an hour, every single day, seeking the kingdom first. And he came to me in anger and tears. I lived with him when I met Holy Spirit. And he became so jealous. He said, that raw hunger and zeal, I had that. Before 20 years of the church and leadership hurt me and wounded me. And I learned how to be a Christian so good. I learned how to tarry and pray an hour. And it took all the life out of me. As an elder, as an evangelist, 20 years. And I still pray an hour a day every day. And I see your raw hunger and zeal and jealousy. I see it for God. And I'm up and I'm praying every day. And he's, he's, he's angry because I've met Holy Spirit. And I'm talking about all the encounters, Holy Spirit, and all these hours every day. He goes, I just want what you have. And I said, I had no idea. What is it that I have? You got knowledge. You mentor me. You spent two years pouring into me about the word and the body. I'm in living with you. And you've just. He said, but I'm dry. And I said, you know why he learned he was dry? Because he's in revival now. You know why he was dry? Because he really learned how to pray. And he became so good at it, it was so predictable. 6 a.m., every day at 6 a.m. And he had this method that he never even realized how he kind of approached God, how he prayed, confessed, tongues, worship, 10 minutes, two chapters of the Bible. And pretty soon the life of God was gone. And he said, you just kind of get up at noon and pray. And I said, because I got to feel it. It could be 5 o'clock. It could be midnight. It could be, I don't go to bed till 5. I don't have a set time. That really messes Christians up. They go, don't you teach on the secret place and prayer and intimacy? I don't have a set time. But at some point every day, I'm going to talk to God. And at some point every day, I'm going to kind of get quiet before the evening I'm going to get stuff and pray. But I just don't have that kind of predictability. Devotional. We've become so good at what we do as Christians. Sometimes there's no life of God left in it. That's why we've got empty churches. No anointing, no presence. Just good meetings. We can go on like that for years. If you've got enough donuts and coffee. We barely even know God came and went. It's just that true. We get really good about what we do, and as much as we need to, if we lose the spontaneity and the hunger, being unpredictable, ready to kind of move and flow. And the Bible says a foolish man, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but you need to ask the Lord, how do we squander it? We're talking about being a steward of the anointing. But a foolish man squanders the impartation and the anointing and the blessing and the presence. Ask the Lord, how do I squander? Do I got like my holes and leaking? And what is it about my life that wastes away what you give me? Because it's treasure. How am I not being faithful to steward the anointing? How am I not being faithful to steward the mysteries of the kingdom? How am I not being faithful in prayer, in intimacy, or, or whatever the Lord's having you do that keeps you hot for God? We squander away all the time. 
tradition, religion, cares of this world, the busyness of our lives, we just lose our first love. Whatever it is that we do, we squander, we waste away opportunities and anointing. And but we want fresh, new anointing tonight. The anointing does not come without prayer. The closer you are to Jesus in prayer and fellowship, the word, the greater the anointing. The anointing ebbs and flows based on intimacy. Prayer matters. There is a desirable treasure, isn't there? Where is the oil, Lord? I'm going to end with this kind of thought. I talked about use it or lose it and being plugged into the oil. Because the oil is in the dwelling of the wise, when you find it, you want to plug into it. This is where we connect into churches, to ministries, to resources, to people that have what we need without this pride that, well, I got it all and can and I don't need you because I got Holy Spirit too. You know, here, here's though, Christ is the head of the church, and he said to abide in him. If you're not plugged into the head, isn't that where the oil comes? The head, then the beard, onto the garments, the body. The oil doesn't get down to the body unless it comes from the head, Christ being the head. But Christ's church, right, has a leadership and a head. When you find the oil, you want to plug into it. You want to plug into the man, to the woman, to the place in which God's oil is flowing for that time and season. And there's something about receiving from one another, being dependent. You know, this is why the Bible says, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. There's just healing you can never get without confessing your trespass. Yeah, you can confess all your sin to God, but there's just healing you will not receive unless you confess to one another trespass and fault and sin. And then pray for one another to be healed. That takes a lot of humility and just a lot of trust. I actually said to the Lord tonight in worship, I don't know that there's anybody that I love and trust enough that I could confide in with all my struggles and weakness and challenges. And that should bother us. Because the faithful wounds of a friend. But I don't know because I've been betrayed so many times. And just about anything I confide in ends up working its way back out somewhere down the road. So where can we really go and be safe? All the counseling I ever do is kind of like legal, sign the contract, you go to prison if you breach it. I feel safer there than I do in my own church or brothers or sisters. Because we haven't made the church or one another safe enough to be trusted with the faults and trespasses. We'd much rather go to some professional counseling. I do. I pay a lot of money. Work out all my stuff. Christian. But I was like, you're going to sign that contract? I'm going to sign mine too. Because we just don't trust. Wouldn't it be amazing if the church could be such a place of restoration and healing that you could confide within your leader or one another and it just kind of stay there in the Lord and then pray for one another to be healed? We kind of use it against each other, you know. We got to plug in, people, but we got we to find the oily places. 
the oily men, the oily women, the oily worship, the oily teaching, and value it. Don't be afraid to talk about what you got and where you got it from. I got an impartation from Benny Hinn, but I've cultivated and made my own. It's like we got this fear to be like, well, you know, I went to this place and got this, and like the whole honor thing. It's like, well, you know, it's me, myself, and I, and I worked this thing out in prayer, and I got my own anointing. What is so wrong with you got prayer in a meeting and something got started and it broke out in your life, in your church, and you just stewarded it and made it yours? We got this fear to just kind of acknowledge it's all kingdom anyways, but why not recognize the oil and the men and the women in times and seasons which God brings in your life to give you what you have? You know, and just kind of tell people, man, I got this from John G. Lake. But it became mine. I took it further, you know. We've got to have the honor come back, don't we? The anointing will always draw the crowds, but if you don't keep your motives right or your heart right in the anointing, you'll just end up spending the anointing on yourself. We spend the anointing on ourselves all the time in greed and money, and God can use it for his, but we spend it all the time in ways that are just not right. But it should be so precious can't give it away. You can't pay 59 for it. It's kind of free. Lord really dealt with me about money stuff, and this is the way I work. He said, never charge for the gospel. I bring in guests, you know, speakers and musicians, bands, and sometimes a whole lot of speakers. I just, you know, we give and we bless and we never charge for the gospel. I mean, I might do a school or have a resource or a book. Somebody sent me a letter and they said, hey, can we have your book free? You know, you said everything you do, never charge for the gospel. I said resources and books are, it's kind of a different, if you ever gone to the store and bought a t-shirt, you're not buying the word of God, you're buying the book I wrote. And the people that put it together, it happens to be about the word of God, but it's not the word of God, the Bible is. Can't sell you the word of God, can't sell you the Bible. But, you know, worship, somebody just worked hard to put that together. Why should they not get blessed like anybody else gets blessed, does music in the world? Why? Because you're in church? I don't even think right. The Lord dealt with me about not charging for, like, even conferences. He said, just make the gospel free. All your revivals, all your crusades, all your meetings. And trust me, I'm going to bless you and provide for you. And God has, as challenging as it's been in nine years, to go into the smallest churches. I go into churches, I don't even talk money. Can we take an offering? Yes or no? Is it not going to be an honorarium? Yes or no? In fact, most times we come, we pay our own hotel, our own food, our own flights, and we don't even ask what you're giving. And when the churches say, hey, we want to get those hotels, or we want to bless you, or we want you to take an offering, that's what we call bonus. But the Lord told me as an evangelist, we needed to come against the whole, you know, wealth and prosperity as much as I believe in wealth and prosperity the abuses he said you need to model yourself differently than the way everyone else does it because I want to trust you with millions so you need to break that spirit and shame and stigma the evangelist and kind of just go anywhere I send you to go and whoever says come and let it never be about dollars and money just kind of faith nine years I mean, we had conferences, you know, there was a time, you know, $129, you're going to get the best conferences, you know. But then the Lord just said, free, just make everything open. Because I'm going to release such blessings. We just, the anointing isn't greedy, it's generous. 
That's why I pray for every person every night in the prayer lines. When I'm done, I'm done. When you're done, we're done. But I'll pray for everyone tonight. Just because I believe the nature of the anointing is, is generous. It's not just for one or two. Here's two prophecies and pray for one or two and take my honorarium and run home. I'm not trying to get done by nine. Get her done. Get out of here. I like to give all that I have and everywhere that I go. You spend and you be spent. Because woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. And God wants to give you a lot of money and trust you. So don't get that. That's not what I'm saying. But there's something about the nature of the anointing that's generous. Let me end with this last quote. You know, we could preach stay hungry. We could preach know your limits. I had to learn that one after burning out twice. When I was done. Now I can just tell people, listen, I'm done. I'm not praying for anybody. And not be guilty about it. I walk away from the crowds all the time. Hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands. When I'm done, I'm done. When my kidneys hurt, when I'm thirsty, when my body's sore, when the Lord said you're in the flesh and you're not in the anointing, I just stop. I don't come under pressure anymore. I came under pressure. I preached one time for five months without stopping. 127 straight services without one break. Like every day, 127 days. And my average service lasted five hours if I didn't have a morning service too. And I just felt like if I stopped, the revival would end and I couldn't trust that anybody else could help and do it. And I just, you know, the crowds were coming and the money was coming and I needed a million dollars a week. And so that pressure, you know, in the machine lost my family in it, lost my kids. Kind of didn't know how to be real, go to the movies, have fun. Like socially, I was, if you weren't praying all the time, 12 hours a day and preaching every day, you weren't in revival. I was kind of that old school, man, I'll preach 350 times a year. No time for anything but preaching. Just ministry. And my idea of what I thought ministry and revival was. It wasn't the move of God if it was less, you know, if it was done before midnight, it wasn't God moving and. We kept all kinds of stuff propped it up. You have to know your limits. But one of my favorite is the impartation, which I want to kind of do tonight. Growing in the anointing. We need to value the impartation or receiving from the grace that God has put on other vessels that operate in where we want to go. See, I believe the three greatest keys to impartation are these. Environment, influence, and association. You want the anointing? You've got to get in the right atmosphere, right in the environment. The oil is in the dwelling of the wise. Find the oily places. You've got to get in the right environment. The influence, the teaching, the resources, the things in your life that you read and watch. You come under influences and who you associate with who your friends are who you're connected to environment influence and association are the three greatest keys to receiving and growing in the anointing I have just a handful of alliances people I associate and connect to and most have more than I have and are going further than I've ever gone just because peer level anointing is dangerous
You know what peer level anointing is? If they're peer or under what you have. Most mega big churches, ministries, they're threatened by anyone that's peer or more. If you're peer. Most are under. That's how they stay at the top. And just keep going and growing. And the Lord warned me one time. He said, watch out for all the peer anointing in your life. Same could be said of all the yes men. It is healthy for you to be under mothers and fathers and connected to people that have more and go further just so you grow. There's a whole generation I'm, I'm concerned about this next generation, you know, that in their midst of discovery of the grace and freedom and, you know, we all have gifts and anointing is that we have no more honor. No more need for being associated or connected or under you know, covering or culture. I believe in these things. I've got two men in my life, Bill Johnson, Rick Joyner, apostolic fathers, men that I could go to or could come and give me a rebuke. I'm constantly looking for those men and women in my life that you may not know by name that can iron sharpens iron, that can get around my life that I could call to. Who could I call to should I be in trouble? That I could really go to with all and say, hey, I'm in a mess. We're afraid of those things today. We don't want to have that like lordship over controlling shepherding, but man, we've run from the idea that God's put in our lives fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters, that the kingdom is relational. But when you be abused relationships and you've been in the wrong community, you get all used and broken and tossed to the side. People in the church today are not stepping stones for you to get higher. If anything, Jesus went the lowest to lift everyone up the higher, became the last. So, you know, challenge to me all the time that my humility isn't enough. My love's not enough. My compassion's not enough. My serving's not enough. And I fear that in the end, I didn't love enough the way I should have. My, I think I preached enough. I think I've moved in gifts and anointing and power enough. I'm pretty confident that I've reached and done enough kingdom stuff. That really those things don't measure for me anymore. But how many sons and daughters can I multiply myself in? How many... I don't measure identity, you know, we had 80,000 or we had a million or we had, it's just kind of, just am I obedient enough, am I loving enough, am I trustworthy enough, is my heart right? I think there's something to be said about just kind of the heart, right? But we need to receive from one another. We've got to connect in because sometimes we need to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We must be willing to plug into something or someone bigger than ourselves sometimes to get to where God wants us to go. And then you honor a prophet in the name of a prophet, you really do get what? The prophet's reward. But so could be said, you honor a righteous man in the name of a righteous man. What does the Bible say you get? A righteous man's reward. Jesus said, a cup of water to the least of these in my name, you will not lose your reward. The idea that the kingdom works by honor. That's why we can't purchase or buy or pay. But we honor. We get to receive. We could reject or receive. 
But I'll tell you, the prophet's reward, the righteous man's reward, the cup of water to the least of these in my name, you will not lose your reward. It's not wrong to expect reward. That's like sowing seed without expecting harvest. It's when we try to get something with what we have or our own greed or we want to purchase or buy or money work our way into a place of recognition or favor and we just kind of love and you know everyone the same but there is something about recognizing the impartation you get too not to be afraid to say man i read that book and i got this give the credit you know authors that write you know if you really do write and publish a book and you don't put you know footnotes or references about others or quotes you could be in a lot of trouble so should it be in the kingdom i think there's just way too much that's all God's anyway, so let's just take it and use it. Without any real recognition or any real love or honor, and you know, well, it's all him. And But you got it somewhere. I believe we're going to receive tonight. It'll be Holy Spirit. You know, we get to be a part. We get to be a vessel. If anything, you're just a hose. I'm okay with being a hose. I'm a pipeline. The oil flows. You're just a hose. Just a pipeline for God. But man, you're an anointed pipeline. That's why David said, I'm a green olive tree. He said, man, I'm, I'm the reason there's oil. I'm, and when I'm here, there's oil because I'm here, because I'm a green olive tree, because I'm planted in the house of God. I'm a producer I don't know. I've been around people, and it was like, you know, I've come, and they brought their open heaven with them. We got to recognize there are times you're in atmospheres that aren't your anointing working. You're under a mantle. It's, it's, what's even better is when you cross-pollinate, and the new wine's in the cluster. And you just kind of have like a, man, I could, you know, be funny, but a friend of mine posted, you know, this picture on Facebook, one of our associates and he said here's what I see when somebody says God's releasing the anointing and he put all like the eight care bears do you remember the care and the all yellow and blue and green and sunshine bear and love bear and joy bear and you know they had those color beams he goes this is what I see when I'm in an anointing service I'm sending my thoughts and prayers you know these beams of you remember the care bears man I, I laughed so hard I said, that's exactly what you see in the Spirit. God's releasing red, blue, green, yellow, the anointing. Sending my thoughts and prayers. I ought to bring that into my meetings and just put it up on the... Here it comes, everybody. <laughs> Love. Joy. Healing. These rays of light. Man, I, I, I can't believe I watched Care Bears. Care bears and glow worms, and you know, there was some other snorkel, and you know, I'm really dating myself now. Little pony, even that was beyond that was after me. But when you have kids, you think it was all you because it all blends in. Now I got Peppa the pig. I only just found out last week that Peppa was a, a female. I was like, you're right. You know, pigs aren't all males. My daughter introduced me to Peppa the Pig. 
My daughter, she's 21 now. She was all like big comfy couch. Anybody remember that one? Anyways, help me, Jesus. We just went from Care Bears and the anointing to glow worms. You really think God could still move in that? Come on, give the Lord a mighty shout. How many of you love the Word of God, right? I just love the Word of God. I love teaching. I love preaching. And now we get to kind of pray for everybody and demonstrate and move in the Holy Ghost, and we're going to have fun. We are going to receive an offering tonight, and uh, thank you, Pastor Jim and your team. They said, why don't you receive the offering for your ministry? And we said a lot of good things about what we're doing, the bigger picture, our mission to Pakistan, and some of the upcoming missions. We have crusades in Mexico and Madagascar, and give to the gospel, right? If every dollar that you gave could really reach just one soul, and there was a challenge and an invitation, an opportunity for you to sow a seed and really see people saved and healed and delivered, could we do, I mean, something? Talking about worth and value. I don't think you could put a price on just valuing the worth of the anointing. Would you consider tonight praying and asking the Lord about what he would have you invest in the gospel? Kind of what's this impartation worth to you? And 100% of everything that you give tonight is going to go into our ministry, Fresh Fire Ministry, all of it. And we're going to use it for the gospel. End of the year giving, and you might be a businessman or a businesswoman, and you love funding the gospel and some of our upcoming missions. Madagascar, Africa, probably one of the most unreached islands in the world. 53% of the population, 25 million, 15 and under. Could you even imagine that all those millions, more than 15 million, are under the age of 15? Living without mom, living without dad, 15. The AIDS, plague. If 3% of the country lives to the ripe old age of 64, it's blessed. That's kind of the big lifespan, 64. 3% of the country of Madagascar will be 64. Most die before 40, 50, leaving an orphan, fatherless, 53%. You can look it up yourself. 3% Christian in the way you identify spirit-filled, born again, you know. They got Roman Catholic, Protestant. We have an opportunity to preach the, Christ, uh, the gospel in Madagascar for the whole nation. We're going to do that in 2018 in Mexico. And I want you to give, not because we've got all these great missions and projects, but just the worth, the value, the teaching, the ministry that's here. You want to just kind of say thanks and honor. But really pray about what God would have you sow or give to the harvest. Knowing that everything that we give and sow tonight is going to go into our ministry. And you can give, you know, the church here, Zion Church. And they're going to kind of steward and administrate and so if you want to write a check, you can, you know, Zion. And I believe there's envelopes for, for giving too, isn't there? Is there a way we can give if you want an envelope? Can we give by debit or credit or, I don't know, text? You can give there. You know, the millennials, 40 and under kind of text. You're watching the broadcast and you're really just tuned in on Facebook Live somewhere watching and you want to sew. Go to our website, freshfireusa.com. You can give there. Our website online, secure for those watching by TV, media. 
freshfireusa.com. It should be on the TV screen. Give a seed. So not because we have to, but we get to. And really, our generosity really is connected. The same spirit that we want to receive sometimes, the spirit we give. And really, I'll tell you, I believe God does miracles of multiplication and increase and jubilee. But he says, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your hand? Who's got the jar of oil? Who's got the bin of flour? Who's got a few loaves and fishes that God can work with to multiply, to meet your need? Twelve baskets left over, seven baskets left over. So I want to pray over the offering. And I'm just giving a moment for you to administrate and get out your checkbook and write it out, Zion Church. Don't write it to Todd Bentley. Don't write it to Fresh Fire. Write it to Zion. Get the number on your phone and text in what you want to give on the screen. They got an app. You got a whole Zion app. How about that? Praise God. Give there on the app. Hallelujah. So, Father, I pray tonight. Yeah. There's a what? A Todd Bentley spot on the app? You can go into the Zion app and like there's a Todd Bentley place on the app. How about that for technology? So go to the app, Zion, and find the Todd Bentley and just give all your money there. <laughs> People have no idea these crusades we do, like Pakistan, if you've been here the last couple days talking about our most recent missions to Pakistan, they cost upwards of about $100,000. That's kind of for a small one. We end up spending about $250,000 on food, flights, hotels, buses to get the poor. When you're trying to organize 50,000, 100,000, half a million people, about 44 cents of every dollar given, we reach one soul for Christ in Pakistan. About 78 cents of every dollar given, we reach one soul in India. People go, we want Harvest America. What about Revival Harvest America? We, we barely have any kind of support for Harvest America because it just costs so much to do harvest in America. We just tend to spend it all on the nations, don't we? But I believe God's bringing a support base that has a vision for Revival Harvest America that are going to want to see venues and stadiums. I've got our first, you know, baseball arena and stadium this year coming in August in New York. Charles Finney, Revival, all throughout upstate New York, and I'm mobilizing right now all over upstate New York for a stadium revival crusade this, you know, August coming, and then three other venues for Revival Harvest America, soul-winning crusades. And the Lord told me, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Take the 3,000-seat stadium. Take the 1,000 seats and pour all your time and energy and money and people will give to the gospel, not just to the Muslim world, not just to, you know, poor nations. We've got to start giving and sowing into the Harvest America if we're going to see Harvest America. It would cost upwards of about a million dollars just to get one stadium for a day, the way you really kind of would like to have 50,000 in a stadium in America, about a million dollars. And we wonder why we don't do outreach or harvest we kind of throw $50, you know, buy a hot dog and do a treasure hunt. I love that. But we've got to go beyond that and see the restoration of the power evangelist and the restoration of the stadium anointing in America, not just around the world, 73 countries. We need to see a fresh wave of revival, harvest, awakening come to America. Let's give into that today, amen? Let's think your dollars, your cents are going into that. We all got something to work with, Amen. And I want to say 100% is going to go to the work of the, the ministry of the gospel, and I won't benefit in any, any way. 
So, Lord, I thank you for this supernatural offering that we get to sow and plant. And we pray not just for dollars and cents, but, God, we pray you would take our seed tonight and multiply back in our families, in our home, in our churches, in our city. We want a mantle of harvest crusades. Could you do that in your prayer right now? Just say, Lord, I want to ask for a hundredfold return in my giving, but I just don't want money and dollars and giving to the gospel and revival and breakthroughs in somebody's family and home. You're praying for your home. You're praying for your family. God, bring the message and the messenger. I want to reap back in my life, in my church, in my city, this fresh harvest anointing as I give it tonight to you to work with. Amen. And thank you for responding online and all the other ways that you're sowing and giving. Let's go ahead and have the ushers collect tonight's offering. Give the Lord a mighty shout. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. There is breakthrough in our seed, I'm telling you. Consider how you're going to work with and partner with God this coming year in God gives seed to the sower. You become a sower at a dollar, it'll be 10, and 10 will be 100, and 100 will be 1,000, and you'll sow your way out of debt. I'm telling you right now. Especially if your focus is giving to the gospel and the poor. You cannot go wrong, and when you consider the poor, you know the Bible says this, when you lend or give to the poor, the Bible says you lend to the Lord, and the Lord will repay. It's the only time in Scripture that when you consider and give to the Lord for the poor, you're lending God money, and it says He will repay. My favorite offerings are harvest offerings, mission offerings. We could do prophetic offerings, glory offerings, and they're always the biggest. Shouldn't the offering for souls and the harvest be the biggest? I love prophetic offerings and glory offerings. And have you ever been in a meeting where just God kind of moves and it's glory and there's a promise and a prophetic and just emptying out all that we have at the altar? But you know the biggest struggle I have as a ministry is taking offerings for the gospel. Ten to one. Though, you know, it'll be a dollar. But if I take a prophetic offering or a glory offering, it'll be ten times. But not the, not the gospel, not the nations. It, it, and I say that after the giving, by the way. And I felt the Lord really hesitated me, you know, in my spirit months back. And he said, receive your offerings for the gospel. Which kind of sounds biblical. But we've been so trained in a culture of like just kind of prosperity and giving that what we're going to get back the $1,000 prophecy, or somehow the... I've seen a lot of abuse in glory prophetic offerings and long go-on offerings. Shouldn't just the gospel and the harvest be enough to just kind of empty out all that we have, like reaching people? And so I felt the check in my spirit, for a season anyways, that I could not have people sow into the glory or sow into the anointing. As much as I believed that, they said, if it's not for the purpose of missions, revival, and evangelism. That's how I want you to approach every offering. You can give vision, Madagascar, Pakistan, but it's got to be the gospel. We've got to break out as a church of the idea of sowing into disglory and oil and feathers. And we, I believe in it, but the Lord just really checked me. He said the gospel is enough. America has got to begin to think in terms of we have become the greatest mission field.
as much as we give out to the nations, we are in need of praying, God, bring the revivalists and the missionaries to our nation that can fill up the arenas and stadiums. If not me, somebody. What happens when Billy Graham graduates to heaven? What will his mantle? I heard Bob Jones tell me one time, he said, when I die, no one man can have what's mine. Because God, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. I will multiply a thousandfold my anointing. Same with Kim Clement. No one man can have Kim Clement's mantle because it's multiplied now a thousandfold. How many of you know when Billy Graham passes, that anointing will multiply to the masses? Reinhard Bonnke, it'll multiply. Oral Roberts, the healing anointing, it's multiplying to the masses. Gone are the days of just kind of one. And if not you, then who? And we ought to start praying, God, we need you to bring to America the anointings that can fill the arenas and stadiums because we need power evangelism. Because if we didn't, where are the thousands being saved? Anywhere in America. That ought to bother us, doesn't it? That I can't think of anywhere in America since Pensacola, Florida, 21 years ago. Where consistently by the thousands, people are coming to the altars and getting saved week after week after week. And we could have these meetings in Muslim nations, Pakistan, and hundreds of thousands are saved. Why are they responding? And if not you, God's got to raise up and send maybe from those nations. We need some of their apostles and prophets to come over. We have so filled the church in 15 years of conference ministry, we've lost the evangelist. Apostles, prophets, all that we've done, filling up all the stuff we do. And I love all the conferences. I do them all. But we have filled up on 15 years of conferences, whether you realize it or not and however long you've been in, that we barely have any more impact. As far as cities being shaken, regions being shaken, uh, God's going to have to send these apostles and prophets from these nations that are seeing the kingdom of God come in revival where millions are being saved. And we need to pray, God, bring them to America. And I say that with all my friends that are apostles and prophets, I've been around the best that I love and honor. And then I've been around the best you don't know in the nations. And I said, man, if we could have you and your anointing in America, what if God did a trade? We sent all our apostles and prophets, and we brought all the apostles and prophets from like Nigeria and Africa, Pakistan, Brazil, places where God's like moving in revival. And we just kind of said, hey, man, freshen our guys up. We're just writing a lot of books. And I'm an author, by the way. I'm going to do a book signing tonight, so I'm going to the book table. And I'm going to sign all my books. So don't get the idea I don't like books. I'm in a conference right now here. Zion Church. But the new wine goes into a new wineskin. The Lord told me, I'm not, I don't accept conference invitations, maybe two, three a year. Because the Lord told me I'm not using that model the way I used to. I could do meetings back, you know, eight, nine, ten years ago, and... 1,000 people, 2,000 people, it was easy. And some of those same places doing the same thing can't even, if you don't bring together every super apostle and every super prophet and have them all on the card at the same time, you're barely going to get thousands. And it's become a business and a subculture and a 
I've seen the behind the scenes and I've said, my goodness, God. And yet I believe, how many believe this? That there is a business in ministry. We talked about this today at lunch. And I got really stirred and really provoked and really challenged because, you know, the Lord's been presenting me with a fresh idea about how there are people with gifts, anointings, and favor, and anointed and appointed working 50 hours a week at Walmart. Or That's not like to be an offensive. But we're not seeing the manifestation and the fulfillment of our unfulfilled dreams and visions We've been through all the schools and all the... You have the anointing. You can't get any more anointed. You know, you have the favor of God. But I said this. Is there a business, like Holy Spirit, kingdom business, that can be in ministry? And can they be kind of together and married? I think the church is really beginning to get a hold of the idea of, you know, blessing and favor. And I've come alongside of a lot of interns, a lot of associates, a lot of churches and ministries... And I've been amazed. I said, you've got so much like gift and anointing and prophetic and favor and preaching. And he said, yeah, but I can't support my family and can't raise money to go on a mission and want to take our church and business to the next level. And I got all these itinerant guys, you know, preaching and working secular jobs. And they just, you know, I said, what's your kingdom vision? What's your kingdom dream? Is that what you see yourself doing in, you know, a year or five years or 10 years? And did Todd Bentley really have some kind of, you know, super, you know, just grace and favor? Or did he just kind of work hard? Did he have like an action plan? And without having any kind of business or degree and growing up around, you know, prison and drugs and poverty, grade eight education, no GAD, the Spirit of God did come on me with revelation and ideas and business. I have business people, multi-million dollar business people, and they come and they, you know, I coach them and mentor them and structures. And I'm a builder. I help people build their ministries, you know, books and resources and money and partners and how to fund a project and just kind of a little thing once in a while. I've had people just be able to launch out in what they're called to just because they learned new wine has to have a wineskin. Some evangelists are wasted because they just don't have a wineskin. Why? Because they think business and ministry shouldn't, like people get offended at the idea that I even said business and ministry. Oh, you're getting success off the gospel and preaching? I said, I don't think so. I don't charge for the gospel. No honorarium, no $25,000 jet plane, no demands when I come preach, not even green M&Ms in the green room. <laughs> I totally walk in an opposite spirit of the demands in the, in the way that we used to kind of, I want $25,000 green M&Ms, I want gas. and because I want the freedom to say, I believe there is a, a business side to ministry. And so the Lord's leading us to mentor some people that I really believe can see with practical keys and tools the unfulfilled visions and dreams happen in their life. If we could just give them a few tools that know how to launch and build a 501c3. How to use GoFundMe successfully. i got a guy on my team right now that if he needs $5,000 to go to Brazil, he just raises it. You wouldn't even know his name. Well, maybe some. You know, my associate, Wesley Roderick, he, just, he wants to go to Russia. He raises all the money. And he has the most successful fundraisers. And he's got all the platforms. Like, he knows five. And how to work them. And social media. And marketing. And branding. How to promote a revival. And just some of these practical things. Websites. Email lists. Can make or break. Whether you just want to write a book and sit with a thousand of your books you wrote. It's great. It's anointed. But it's in your garage. 
Whereas I can sell a thousand books before the book's in my office. And it's not just because my content's better or my anointing's better, but my business, the business and logistics. We don't tend to like the idea of the ministry business. And I, I know that, you know, Jim's got a great revelation, maybe one of the best on economics and investment and stewardship. And we were just talking a little bit at lunch today. And I got really stirred up and fired up about the idea that there are a lot of people that kind of need what I'm saying and even watching. And so this coming, I think, two weeks, I'm going to be doing the first what I call webinar of webinars, where I'm going to be getting together with my good friend, Wesley Roderick, almost 20 years of branding, marketing. He does graphics and consults and coaches ministries and people wanting to take it to the next level and business. And, and then I'm going to get involved too because I've run a multi-million dollar ministry and books and resources and product and, you know, how to distribute and sell a million books. Doing a writing seminar with some of the best writers and authors, how to get published and self-published, and just practical things that can kind of make or break your gift, your anointing, your mantle, the favor of God. You know, that's a given. But most are too busy in all their time and energy just working in some secular job, and you're not seeing your kingdom vision and dream. So am I saying anything to anybody that could give me two hours? And join our, you know, we're doing a webinar. I put it up on the screen, I think. There it is. The ministry business webinar, December 19th. It's going to be online. And we're not going to have a $360 funnel. You're not buying a program that's going to make you a millionaire overnight. You're just going to kind of sign up and register, get a spot, limited, limited, 100 spots. Because we're going to have an intensive Q&A. You'll be able to submit any question we're going to spend two hours just answering questions about business, logistics, fundraising, partners, the behind the scenes. What does it even cost to do a crusade if I was to be called to one? Where do you get all that money? Invitations. What do you do? What about agreements with churches? How do you go in? How do you, uh, you know, discuss what do they give you on a Sunday? How do you know what an honorary? I'm going to mentor people. And then I'm going to get my business guy, and he's going to talk about social media and hashtags and branding. And So you want to get in on this. Here it is. That website right there, ministrybusiness.com, theministrybusiness.com. You go to that website, you'll be able to see the outline of what we're going to talk about, what we're going to cover. And uh, I want to raise up a generation of people that have unfulfilled visions and dreams and help them empower that so it becomes a reality. And it's not just the anointing in the favor of God, because if that was enough, we'd have a lot more people in business and success, because you're packed full of anointing. You can out-prophesy, raise the dead. There are tools and structures and wineskins that we need that could help us step out and launch out. So if you want to invest in your call, register, reserve a spot at theministrybusiness.com. It's together one link. It's on our website, theministrybusiness.com. It's on the TV. Reserve a spot before they're all gone. We're probably about 50% full already. It's coming up just two hours. You can't attend live. It's going to be video on demand. And we're not, you know, there will be no funnels, no products to buy, no special magic wands. It's just going to be maybe the beginning of something we begin to develop with people with revelation like Jim and others that are passionate about teaching people to get out of debt. 
It's not just going to be waved. Bam, there it is. You're free. You're dead free. Hallelujah. Praise God. Bam, there you're free. Praise God. Get $1,000 for the gospel. I literally have gotten around young preachers that couldn't support their family. They're more anointed than Reinhard Bonnke. I said, man, you don't even know how to take an offering. They're like, well, you know, it's not about money. Praise God. We're just the anointing. And I said, well, stay working at Walmart then. Because you don't want to learn how to take an offering and then give a receipt. And you don't want to even know how to write a newsletter in a way that's not cheese and raise money. And you're afraid to ask. You don't even want to go to your friends and family. And it doesn't matter if you're Todd Benton and you need a million dollars or you're Wesley Roderick and you need 3000 Because we got it on every level. You'd think it'd be easy for me. I got the name, the crowd, the influence. You know, but a guy like Wesley Roderick, associate pastor in our church, he doesn't have the name. But he raises what he needs just the same because he's learned how to use the marketing and the Facebook and the social media, and he's really good at it. So we're going to come together and give all that we know and a little 10-page study guide. And, man, social media, if you're not using that, people would be shocked if I told them what I could just do in products and resources just every week if I wanted to. Thousands and thousands of dollars just by Facebook. Literally every day, $500, $1,000 a day if I want to. Just by communicating and reaching and connecting and using social media. million dollars a year in books and resources. And not even with the biggest crowds and stadiums and arenas. I got authors, you know, of the biggest churches. They go, how is it you selling that many books? I said, man, you don't use social media? Periscope Live, Instagram Live, Twitter, Snapchat. I mean, I got every one of them every day, three times a day. And I said, if you're not going there, man, you're just going to be the old was. Thank God you at least have an app, you know, you got the Zion app. I, I said, pretty soon, I don't know, you even have a checkbook? We did, like, who even writes checks? People come into our meetings now, millennial generation, man, you're going to get the smallest offering ever if you don't just make it easy to give. Text to give, app to give, online give. I mean, nobody carries the kind of money they used to. The only country I know that has money is Korea. You take an offering, if they don't got it on them, they go get it and they bring it the next day. $5,000 rolled up in a bag. I got $5,000 right here for the gospel. They still do, like, here's cash. I was like, I never see $5,000. Nobody's got $5,000 in their wallet. And we just, like, we barely have anything. So I tell my guys, I go, you're going to go for the offering? You don't have a convenient way to give? You don't, like, even debit, credit? Like, I mean, you just, I said, these tools could make or break you. You can't do it the way you did it in the 80s and the 90s. The whole church is going broke. All their partners died off. They didn't bring the next generation with them. And they don't translate over to the next generation. And I go into their churches and preach, and I go, how do people give? They go, well, we just kind of give. We pass the buck. I said, you don't, you mean, people don't have, the, you know, we live in a day where you've got to have debit or credit. That's going to be 80% of your giving. Just those simple things that I help some of my itinerants, and they go, man, I'm just going to have a way to give by app and text and debit, and their money goes up by 80%. But those that refuse to move with the new wineskin are just going to be the generation that doesn't reach. So that's what I mean by the business and logistics. Just the mentoring, little things can help old churches be fresh again. We can help them increase their revenue by 80% just by how to administrate the offering. Not even a bigger message. Even a longer offering. I said, just having pens and envelopes. If you don't put it before the people in an easy way, they just won't look for it. In Russia, they try to get an all go to the back, one little ATM. I said, nobody's going to the bank. 
Once they see 10 people in the line, they're going to go, ah, oh, too big of a crowd, I'll go later, and they won't. People are going to go to my bookstore, they're not going to buy if there's 20 people at the bookstore. Because we just, I look for the smallest line when I go to the grocery store. I want to get in and get out. I'm gonna, I've been to too many meetings where you, you, know, you lost potential people at your book table buying because you didn't have enough people helping. And once you see a crowd, you're like, oh, I'll get it later. And you never do. So you get the idea of what I'm saying. Man, I'm passionate about these things. They're practical things that can just help us take what we already have and take it to the next level so you can have more success. So anyways, I'm selling you something. Thebusinessministry.com. Check it out and maybe sign up for it. And uh, join us on December 19th. So give the Lord a mighty shout for that. That's kind of my promotion. And I'm going to give away a book. How many of you have been here the last two days? It doesn't matter if I'm talking about the anointing or miracles, healing, the secret place. Experience the intimacy with God you've always wanted. You want hunger, prayer, take it to the next level, go deeper, experience the manifest presence of God. You like what I said about Holy Spirit, three chapters, Holy Spirit, secret place of the stairs, secret garden, the Father's house, all the stuff I've learned on soaking, contemplative prayer, some great Christian mystics, just quotes, take your prayer life deeper and higher. So I'm going to do a book signing tonight, this book. Took me 17 years before the Lord just kind of released me to go. The message that really started it all. If you know anything about my story and my testimony, the glory liquid honey cloud, and three months, four to 12 hours a day under the cloud of glory, this is it. I finally was able to put it into this book. And I want to give the one. Who would like to have one tonight? Just the secret place. Okay, there's a lot of people that want. Go to the bookstore. How do you think I eat? How do you think I live? Hallelujah. I tell ministers all the time, I say, you don't have product? You don't talk about it? So you could support your whole life and your whole family, and then all your offerings could go to the gospel. Just because you were good about, hey, I got a book, and get it out there. Who didn't want to sell a million books? And nobody writes a book to sell a thousand books. Most authors, 90% that write books, have a thousand books in their garage if they sold a hundred. They can't even give them away. Friends, family, just here, take my book, you know. Going to conferences, hey, you know, here's my business card, here's my book. I was like, man, you got to be able to do something more than that. So anyway, it's the secret place. I'm going to do this tonight because I'm going to be at the table after I pray for everybody. I'm going to sign some books. But um, if you don't have still, and I know it's a classic and it's kind of old, and but it's got the anointing on it. And because I'm talking about the secret place, one of the first prayer CDs I've ever done. Has anybody ever heard of prayer CD? One of our prayer CDs, we call them soaking CDs. The first one I ever did was called Soaking in the Secret Place, where I'm praying with prayer and music, you know, just prayers for the manifest presence of God. So kind of just taking people into the glory. So this really blessed me. I'm not a musician. I don't sing. I sold over 100,000 copies and was nominated for a Dove Award. That's not because of great musicians singing. That's just anointing that 100,000 people would buy my album because they want to have an encounter with God. And they called me in Canada. They said, you've been nominated, Mr. Bentley, for a Dove Award. Now, as an artist, we need to know what you sing or what you play. And we sent back a letter, and I said, man, I just pray. I don't, I don't sing. I don't have any musical. I just, you know, there's music, and we go into the secret place. 
I got one of the greatest honors. How many of you love and know uh, Rick Pino? You know, Heart of David, Rick Pino. Rick Pino said in his college years in school, it was our soaking CD, Prayers for the Manifest Presence of God, his hunger for God and some of his early experiences with the secret place were listening to our prayers for the manifest presence. And then I even have a bigger honor than that. How many of you know, you know, Bethel, Bethel Music, Benny Johnson, Bill Johnson, ben, Benny Johnson. She said there was a time in the top three, her favorite soaking CDs ever, this was one. Prayers for the manifest presence of God. And I was just so honored to hear that. I thought, man, you got Brian and Jen Johnson and all the other, you know, Bethel. And this was one of your favorite go-to for soaking, waiting on the Lord and just kind of. So it's one of the first CDs. I think I have eight now. But if you don't have the original soaking prayers for the manifest presence, you want to get that at the book table. You get the book, you can just get this. It's like a combo. I'm going to get, who'd like to have this one here? You want to have that, Steve? Good to see you, my friend. I just want to bless you. There you go. All those are on iTunes, too. Most people don't even buy CDs. You, you put Todd Bentley iTunes, you'll find me. You can hear all the music you want. I tell people, if you're going to do that, at least sign up for my free podcast on iTunes. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to take all that work, you know, at least get the free podcast. And then I got a new CD, which I'd like to play just a little taste before we just move into ministry and the anointing service. Because I'm passionate about how can we duplicate atmospheres. So when I get in an atmosphere where I encounter the honey, the oil, the wine, how about 13 weeks? I went into this church for three days, and 13 weeks later, we passed the baton, and they're still going. You know, that's, I was there in May. They're still going. And it was a glory revival. East Texas glory revival, Lindale, Texas. And the presence and the glory was so real by the third day. It just would linger on to like midnight every day for weeks and weeks. And We didn't even have anybody get saved. That's hard as an evangelist. It wasn't a salvation revival. It wasn't a healing revival. It was just this glory presence where you were on your face every day. And it was some of the best presence I've ever been in as far as just ongoing week after week after week. And during those meetings, we recorded, you know, Glory Revival Live into the cloud. And it's not even the best as far as like music for a lot of people that kind of don't like it the way I like it. But I kind of like, you know, keyboard and, you know, I'm not all Bethel Jesus culture. My wife loves it and I am too. But for me, I'm kind of in the moment feel the atmosphere flow in the glory kind of guy. So worship kind of has this purpose for me that's more than just have it on in the bathroom doing my makeup. That's my, that's my wife, okay, my wife. She's got worship on in the house all the time, worship in the car, worship in the bathroom. I said, how do you just kind of have all that worship playing all the time? I was like, put on some ACDC or, you know, rock and roll or like something, you know. Again, 80s. You know what generation I'm from. And so, you know, I just, I, I can't stand if I'm not worshiping or encountering or experiencing God, if it's not like in spirit and truth and, you know, I'm, I'm flowing in the anointing. I just can't do it. So these are all spontaneous, prophetic, in the moment, from the throne room songs. None of them are like structured that you would hear singing, but they're just so well done. You just go into the throne room and angelic encounters. So I'm going to play a little taste for just a minute of what I call the secret garden because I love the secret place. Just to kind of switch the whole atmosphere from just offerings and marketing and the ministrybusiness.com. 
Let's get back in the presence of God. And I want you to just kind of enter into this thing with me. Are we on that last track, right? The Secret Garden? And we're going to turn it up loud enough that it's not too piercing, but it's good booming. And we're going to go in to the Secret Garden. Can you do that with me? Come on, who's got that cry? I just want to meet with you, you, Lord. I just want to meet with you. I just want to meet with you tonight. The secret garden. Secret garden. Take us into the garden. Secret garden. This was totally spontaneous as you're hearing it, sung for the first time. I just want to meet with you. I just want to meet with you in the secret garden. I just want to meet with you in that secret garden where you hide the precious things where the Jews are Gold is hidden where the diamonds are, and all the silver is buried. I want the map. I want the hidden things. I want to know where it is and how to get there. It's in the sea.
CD is just about an hour of just spontaneous prophetic garden intimacy, secret place, weep at the feet of Jesus, kind of. Lord just kind of sings over you and your heart just kind of goes there. And I'm going to pray for everybody and we're going to kind of go back, just kind of wait a minute, but once we have the prayer lines, we're going to go into the first song that I ever heard sung. I thought it was a, you know, an old kind of hymn and when our worship leader, David Hunter, kind of finished, I looked and I said, David, where did you get that song, Hungry? Just hungry for you. He said, I just sung it. Like it was just kind of in the moment that was just created. That right there, in the moment, as it was created, we recorded it. Every CD, every track was birthed out of the song of the Lord. And that was kind of what I loved about the whole, you know, when God, you know, I got saved, it was Morning Star and Leonard Jones and Dodd Potter and Kevin Prosh and we had the glory meetings and the worship and warfare and the heart of David and there were music in that time that was what they called prophetic song and they would go on for just hours from the throne and I hadn't heard music like that since we were in this meeting and we just kind of made this spontaneous I call it the honey, the oil, the wine. And I just get so drunk every time I hear it, it brings me back. And it's not even the style or the song, because in the natural, it wouldn't even be my go-to style. But I get in the anointing. And if it gets me in the anointing, that's kind of what works for me. So when we get all the prayer lines here, we're going to have all over the room. I want to kind of have maybe in the back even, because there's quite a few people to pray for. We're going to just kind of go into that track number one in the sound group, just about I'm hungry for you, and just kind of let your heart go there and just kind of worship with me. And then you'll want to get a copy. Who'd like to have this one? Gloria, I'm going to actually just kind of sow this, Mary. You're just such a lover of the secret place. So it's on iTunes. Get it. You're watching Glory Revival Live. Just put Todd Bentley iTunes. You'll find it. But whoa, man, you can never hurry the anointing. So I'm glad we started at 6. Tomorrow night I start at 5 in Pickerington. And I promise tomorrow morning, you know, there'll be a soft close by lunch. You'll, you'll get to eat. But I don't just come once a year, once every tw- you know, two years just to give you a little. Thank you for having the patience and the capacity to kind of suck it all up. Can we give the Lord a mighty shout for it? Letting me teach. You guys let me teach on the anointing. It's kind of my favorite. And I get more and more anointed as I teach. So it's like I'm, I'm ministering to myself. You don't just think I'm teaching and preaching. I'm literally ministering to myself. So we're going to open these altars tonight and just kind of pray for everybody for fresh oil and new oil and an encounter with the power of God. And if you came tonight, you know, cancer and just kind of dying and need a miracle. We'll pray for healing too. And that doesn't mean I pray for everybody once and then all the sick get back in and pray again. It just kind of means if I'm coming down the prayer line and you've got a cancer or a tumor or 
you know, deaf blind or kidney failure or some major, just kind of whispering like, like, I need a miracle and the anointing is here. You know, it breaks the yoke and removes the burden. Man, we're just lovers of his presence. We're lovers of the Holy Spirit. We're lovers of the anointing. That is the greatest key. If you don't have that passion and hunger in your heart for more, I mean, I could cry and get on my face, and that would be just amen. The gospel that doesn't touch you isn't touching anyone else. I think why the most powerful messages you ever preach are what you live. We get so focused on trying to just teach and preach any topic. Don't kind of have it worked out in our life. I've worked out the Holy Spirit and the anointing. I've worked out the secret place. I've worked out the supernatural. I've worked out healing. So I preach those things. So I might need to push. Should I, is it okay to push back some chairs? I know we got church in the morning. Don't want to make too much mess. But I probably would need to move at least two rows, you know, so I could maybe have three, four lines for people to come in and get prayer. And I need to take a minute to do this because if I'm organized, whatever line you get in, please let me just kind of come to you. Don't try to move forward, okay? So if you get stuck like in the third or fourth line, just kind of stay there because really it kind of builds up. And if you start moving forward or just it gets all bundled up and I trip over bodies and so once we get you kind of in the prayer line, shoulder to shoulder, facing me, we'll get up front. We'll do an altar call for those that are in the first couple rows. If you could just kind of come up front real quick. And my associate, my assistant, Leslie here, beautiful Leslie from Ohio. There she is. She'll be in the bookstore, okay? She'll be at the tables. And uh, I'm going to do a book signing after I pray for everyone. But if you want to get yours first after you get prayer, We'll be at the book tables. I don't know if they're on that side of the room or on the other side, wherever they are. You'll find them. But if you're here and you're hungry, just go ahead and come down real quick and just fill in these altars. Okay, good. Shoulder to shoulder, kind of one line all the way. Most of you have done this enough. That, But just in case you've never been in a meeting like this, let's kind of have everybody. We've got a little more space here. Okay, just kind of fill in. Here we go. Cram all the way in. And then we'll do a second line. Okay, kind of. Six feet back, you know how it works. Until the second line, and then I might even need to have a third line. I kind of want everybody to come and get in one of these prayer lines before we kind of just corporately turn off the, you know, conversation and kind of go back to the Lord for a second, okay? Because I really want you to be in gauged presence when I get to you. So I'm not praying for you to get in presence. I'm praying for you from presence. You're kind of already in. And uh, then we could just kind of collide, boom, and have an explosion. So you know how to worship and pray and just kind of go there, right? Go to heaven, connect you and Jesus, and I'm going to come and pray over everybody. And I'm going to be praying fresh anointing, okay? Rivers are going to start flowing. And is my wife in here? Like my wife, Jessa, is she in here still? Every once in a while, I can get my wife in the prayer line, and then it's even better. She's almost like seven months pregnant now, though, so it's kind of, I don't know that she's got the grace to go all the way through. I said, Lord, what is happening? It's like Father Abraham had many sons. I got like many daughters, many daughters, four, four daughters. 
One son. Five. It's like building a whole football team or something. I don't even like football anymore. Come on, who's hungry? Let's go there. Yeah, come on. Here we go. Yeah, turn it up. Turn it up. I want it to be good enough that you can just kind of go in with the music and forget me because I'm not going to be on the mic. So hungry for you. All over the world. Come on, let this be your cry of revival tonight. I'm hungry for you. Jesus. I'm hungry for you. You sing it. Don't pass. Don't pass me by. Hungry for you. Come on, Lord, hear my cry. Lord, hear my cry. Who's got a cry? Hunger, cry for revival. Don't pass me by. Want to see you in the cloud of glory? I want to see you in the bush that's burning. See you in the bush that's burning. I'm getting you baptized in the honey, the oil, the wine. Breakthrough for healing. Whoa. Can I just journey with you? This part just kind of breaks me every time. I just wait a little longer. Wait a little longer. We're about to go to the blood of Jesus, people. I just want to say thank you for your blood. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your blood. It's all spontaneous. Come on, let's thank him for his blood. Every boy, every boy, we worship. 
us, we say thank you for your blood. No guilty stains. No guilty stains because of the blood. Oh, bless your heart, man of God. Oh, Jesus, so much love. Oh, fresh anointing. Bless the man of God. Strength of the anointing is the blood. Cross. Everything, Everything that's been lost and stolen, he's going to give it back. Come on, get in that anointing, recovery, restoration. things new. You just love and you restore the strength. Here we go. It is well. Come on. It will be well. It will be well. It is well. It is well. Come on, Holy Ghost. Make a decree, people. It will be well. Well, with my soul, go into the glory. your hunger draw make a demand pull on that anointing pull on that anointing Never hurry the anointing. Whatever, Let people get filled up. Is my Jesus. Now Tangible anointing. Spirit of God. bearded brother right there. Double anointing. Woo! Hey! Bam! 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 
Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, power, fire, Jesus. 